Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY Hi, my name is Jonathan and I'm the founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop I want to personally invite you to register for our next workshop coming up April 7th through the 9th in Texas in the lovely Hill Country so call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY that's 1-800-497-8748 or visit gatewaymen.com you're listening to pure sex radio training men educating women brought to you by be broken ministries visit us on the web at puresexradio.com Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you with us. My name is Jonathan, and we have a very special guest with us today. Ken Snyder is on the line with us. So, Ken, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Yeah, we're going to be excited to hear your story in this in this particular episode. But before we do that, I just want to let our listeners know, as we do periodically, that we are a listener-supported podcast. And what that means is that the way you're hearing my voice right now is because we've had generous partners come alongside and choose to financially support our ministry. And so if you'd like to learn about the various ways in which you can come along and partner with this ministry, simply go to puresexradio.com and click on the donate link. Well, Ken, I want to just dive right in because I want to give you plenty of time to be able to introduce yourself to our to our listeners and then just be able to kind of share with them your personal story uh, because one of the things we value here at our ministry, one of our core values is story. We believe that being able to uh, unpack your story and share it is so critical to the healing and growth process that we love to create space for for folks to do that on this podcast. And so, why don't you share with your listeners uh, who you are and kind of what your what your story is? Uh, I am like it seems I'd say ninety percent of male sex addicts, um, the victim of a serious dad wound, as uh, uh, John Eldridge calls it. I, my father was an alcoholic. Uh, very distant and disapproving of me. Uh, and in, in doing that, I retreated within myself. And really, the walls went up. Uh, and that isolation began as, as a small child. Uh, I remember at a pivotal moment in my life that's almost hard for me to believe, and I know it is for others to believe, is that I was three years old and I told my mother to hell with him. Mm. And I'm in it. Uh, but I still loved him and I still sought his approval. Uh, I, it meant, I grew up in a in West Virginia, a very in coal mining country. Uh, that in and of itself was kind of a isolated environment, and uh, I, I plunged myself first as a small child into books and also writing. And I've always I've made my living since then as a writer, and it served me well. And I've always thought, well, God will take a, He will work all things together for good, including uh, what was my first medication, which was books and writing. 
uh, puberty really, you know, the genie got out of the bottle at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know how freely I can speak. I'm used to speaking bluntly in front of men and others. We are, uh, that I would, we are candid on this program. So, uh, okay, good, good. I discovered I was introduced to pornography and, uh, I, you know, I think there's normal sexuality, and I cer- certainly was not ab- but normal in any sense of the word. I would masturbate as many as five times a day, mm-hmm. uh, and a pattern emerged with me in high school that I still, you know, that that I battle today, but I battle with God. That is to fixate on someone and then uh, engage in fantasy about them and use that fantasy for as fuel for masturbation. Uh, yeah, I grew up in an environment where. You know, the macho American thing is you have as much sex as you can. Um, my first sex, and I didn't see it as a red flag really, was with a, a prostitute at age 16. Mm. And then uh, shortly after that, I uh, seduced my, my girlfriend, a high school sweetheart, and uh, we engaged in a pretty active sexual relationship. And I, I felt like I was emotionally in love with her to be, uh, you know, as, as much as a 16-year-old can be. The addiction really began to bite me when I went away to college. Uh, I got away from my girlfriend, and I, I became a hippie. I became a drug user, and I used uh, drugs uh, addictively, I know. But uh, I uh, I never, you know, it was the era of free love, late 60s, early 70s, and I did not participate in the sexual revolution. I, I The wall had really, really gone up around me. And so I, I was still masturbating and using pornography and fantasy. I never had girlfriends, never had dates. Uh, just completely removed from from women, from and from normal uh, good relationships, and that's when I kind of realized that something was wrong with me. And I first went to a counselor who didn't do me much good. Uh, I got out of school and I had to clean up, get a job, uh, which I did, and fell in love with a girl. And there was a pattern that emerged with her and also a second wife of, uh, first of all, premarital sex, and then sex the first six months of our marriage, and then I didn't want to have sex anymore. Mm. And uh, looking back at that now, that was, you know, sex was too much a part of intimacy, emotional intimacy. And here I am, a sex addict. I'm I'm ashamed of myself. I feel horrible about myself. I've been taught through my father that I'm not a very good person and not worthwhile. And then I do think, engage in this, in this masturbation and pornography that reinforces that belief that I held that I was mm-hmm. a bad person. So, uh, you know, I, being married was just not a good thing for me to be. And uh, that first marriage ended. I got married uh, a second time about three years after the first wife. And the only difference there was that I, I renewed the relationship with the Lord. I was saved as a little boy. Uh, but I got away from God as a hippie and, you know, became an atheist for a time, went through all that. But uh, I became uh, came back to God in, in a very strong, powerful way. I was a, uh, actually a Catholic charismatic uh, to, to get back to God. I was raised Pentecostal, so I really <laughs> I went 180 degrees, it would seem. But at any rate, it led me back to, into a relationship with the Lord. But my addiction continued. And uh, the you know I had that same pattern, no sex after six months. My wife was a Christian also, and we did manage to stay married. And I really don't, I'm not really sure how we did, but uh, through God's grace and, and the grace she had for me uh, and the relationship that I was be- beginning to build with God, I was we were able to keep our marriage together. We managed to have three children together, mm-hmm. uh, but it had a really pivotal moment. And I think around 1990, 
uh, can't remember, uh, Jonathan. It, at some point, I maybe late eighties. Uh, my wife and I had had a horrible fight, uh, not a physical fight, but an argument. And I mm-hmm. remember screaming at her, "I've got something wrong with me, and I don't know what it is." And I really meant that. And I, it, it makes me emotional to uh, to recall it. But two weeks later, God had me sitting down in in front of the television watching a show. Uh, James Robinson, who I treasure uh, today, still today. He had a guest on his show, Doug Weiss, who I know you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when God heard me cry out, uh, there's something wrong with me, and I don't know what it is, he heard a prayer. Uh, and, and through his amazing grace, and again, I get emotional remembering, uh, he, he told me what was wrong with me. He revealed to me I was a sex addict. Mm-hmm. So I immediately uh, got Doug's tapes and boned up on sexual addiction, and everything's going to be great, right? No, I went to... Uh, the only resources at that time, and this was in the, I guess, the early 90s, were secular uh, resources, um, Sex Addicts Anonymous and Sex Addicts Anonymous, uh, Sexaholics Anonymous. Right. And I learned a lot about recovery, but I didn't get any recovery. And it, it, over a period of about six years, I just, you know, I, I just was still an addict, but I at least was trying, and at least I knew some things about recovery. And one day I just came to the realization that, you know, I'm a lot of things. I'm more than just a sex addict. I'm also a Christian. And I found a, a faith-based uh, sex addiction group. And Jonathan, it saved my life. I have, I have found a sponsor, a mentor, how, whatever term you want to use. And Jesus became the center of my recovery. Mm. And that was in year 2000. And I have been in, in recovery since, since then. And now it's uh, 17 years later, I'm still in recovery. Uh, I sponsor 12 to 15 men. I'm sponsoring as many men as I can. I help lead uh, a, a very active group that meets three times weekly at a church. And uh, my passion, my purpose, my calling, my every breath I take is directed towards loving male sex addicts. I love the guy, the brand new guy who walks through the door as well as the guy who's been there 17 years. And that's the love of the Lord. It's not me. It is him within me because I regard us, and, and I get reminded of it, unfortunately, and recovering sex addicts would, would acknowledge this. I get reminded by, quote, normal people that even though we may be in recovery, even though we may be in, in deep relationship with Jesus, we still there's still a barrier between us and other Christians. I'm not talking about the world, other Christians, and I get reminded of that in ways not so subtle and also subtle at times, but that's where God's grace is so good. Uh, we have two kinds of meetings that we uh, conduct. Uh, one is a workbook meeting, and then the second one is a is a four-man accountability group meeting where you're eyeball to eyeball with somebody, and you're telling them what you did. Well, in our room, and I've always said uh, the parallel for that dynamic is Jesus, his encounter with the woman at the well. Uh, he called her out. He, he got honesty from her. He spoke to her what she was, and I think she was a female sex addict. But he didn't judge her. And there's the dynamic that is just, that's just God. I can sit down with three other sex addicts or a room full of them, and there's no judgment. There's, there's nothing I haven't done that they haven't done worse and vice versa. And I, I always say this, where there is no judgment, that leaves a vacuum that Christ's love will flood. And uh, I really regard our meetings and our get-togethers as, as really the New Testament church, uh, because I think it's what church is supposed to be. There's no pretense. There's nothing but complete honesty and transparency. 
Uh, we, we're a bunch of men. We sling around a few cuss words here and there, but we laugh, we cry. But here's the key thing. We fall in love with Jesus through each other. Mm-hmm. And we are each God with skin on one to another. Uh, and it's it saved my life. I can't wait to wake up in the morning to, to you know, just bask in God's goodness and to reach out and be a help to other sex addicts. So that's kind yeah. of it in a nutshell. That's a whole lot there, but uh, yeah. well, and I want to uh, I want to unpack your your story a little bit more because you're right. There's a lot there, and and I really want. I think sometimes, uh, you know, as you as 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 you tell your story, and and you've probably told it many times. I mean, having been in true recovery for 17 years, I'm sure you've told your story a lot, and so. There's a and and I've I'm in a similar situation. 1999 was the beginning of my recovery. So I mean I've told my story. I don't even know how many hundreds or even thousands of times I've told my story. And sometimes, what what is so familiar to us because we've lived it, uh, there's there's pieces of it then that people might have questions about and go, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second, hang on, you, you 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 hit a lot of big things. You hit about the issue of of kind of a disconnected father-son relationship. You hit this issue of finding community among, you know, hippies. You hit this idea of a real crisis of faith along the way. You hit this this these other big pieces of, hey, it seems like you kind of dipped your toe into recovery a few times and, and it didn't really stick at first. So what's that all about? You know, so I'd like for us to unpack a little bit more of those elements to help our listeners to be able to kind of learn more about the the journey, um, and I'd I'd really like to start with that issue of you know the fractured relationship with your father, and and what what is really at issue there that often leads so many young boys astray into if I can put it this way into the arms of pornography. Well, as a child, whether you're uh emotionally abused by a father or sexually abused by someone else. I I don't know why we're made this way, Jonathan, but we as children take the blame for it. We feel like it's, it's something I did. It was, it's my fault. Uh, my dad, I don't measure up to him because there's something wrong with me because that's your dad and dads are supposed to be loving and, and people you can trust and whatever. So, but that's just not that's just not the way it works uh, in most families. And well, in, at least in most in most all sex addicts I know, it is the father uh, or that poverty relationship that that has created the addiction. So you, you blame yourself, even as a little kid. And I know if you know the world in general, uh, children who are in the middle of uh, their parents divorcing, they will blame themselves. They think it's their fault that mom and dad are splitting up. Well, when you're emotionally mm-hmm. abused or spiritually abused or sexually abused, you'll do the same thing. So right away you think, there's something wrong with me. I'm just not good enough. And then there's that, that ache in your heart and there's that pain of I, I don't, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I'm, I, I'm an outsider among others. You know, I'm just not normal. So yeah, you're carrying around pain. So what do you do with it? You medicate it. Uh, and again, I, you know, my first medication was, you know, daydreaming off into books and writing. Uh, but then, but then sex comes along and, you know, sex physically is the most greatest sensation that God has ever given us physically. So talk about a medication. There's a great medication. And so without, without, you know, any sort of emotional grounding, you'll, you know, you will gravitate to the, that, to that relief. The problem is, as you well know, is that as soon as you you get the relief from an orgasm, 
then you're overwhelmed with shame and you just keep spiraling down and down and down. Then the other component to that is, you know, what you started out with masturbation, it becomes old hat and boring and you're going to hit something more. It's a law of diminishing returns. You, then it's got, I have to have sex with a live person, be it a prostitute or someone else. And it can go, I mean, I've, I can tell you stories that draw your hair about how far men have gone to pursue that law, you know, in response to that law of diminishing return. And, and so you, you're in this death spiral. And I'll never forget reading a book that said all addiction ends in death. Mm-hmm. And it really shook me up. It scared me to my core, but it's true. You may not necessarily lose your life, but you'll lose, you'll lose your identity. You, you will lose your relationship with God. You'll lose your any and all relationships with anyone else. They may be just surface relationships. So you become this, this isolated person. And I heard a great definition of shame one time. that the shame puts you beside yourself. You're not really in your own skin. You don't even know who you are. Uh, and that's, that's where, and I, I didn't count on getting emotional here, but every time I talk about Jesus, I do. Mm-hmm. That's where he comes in yeah. because he, he is, we find our identity in him. And now I'm kind of jumping ahead. So I'll, I'll well, and, and, and let you ask me another question. Well, as you're talking about that idea of all addiction ends in death, the first thing that came to my mind is if, if you want the, the, a really basic and simple definition of death, it's separation from life. Yes. Yes. And so when we, yes. when we know that, uh, you know, so that, that encompasses a whole lot. I mean, you're right. You're mm-hmm. separated from relationships. You're separated from wholeness. You're separated from your identity. You're separated from God. And we know that God as the author of all life, you mm-hmm. know, that's the major separation that I think occurs there. Oh, yeah. And that's, and, and, and I guess, you know, you would probably also identify with the idea that in the journey, the deeper you get into the spiral of the addictive pattern, this this growing sense of emptiness occurs at a very deep level. So you talked about a lot of different things that you began to try to attach to as far as, you know, your first sexual experience with 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 a prostitute and then some drugs and kind of the hippie experience. And so talk about this sort of revolving door of attachment that never seemed to fulfill, and yet this constant thread of the pornography and sexual sin, and what that created in terms of this growing sense of emptiness in in, the, in your soul. Yeah, the, 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 the drugs was, uh, and it was a, a co-addiction with sex, and basically I used drugs, and I used all of them. I put needles in my arm, the whole nine yards. I did that as a, as a, you know, to complement sexual acting out. But uh, you know, this is. I think you probably have to be an expert to understand this. There was really a unity uh, among that those folks back then. I, mm-hmm. I would hitchhike halfway across the country, never had to wait more than two minutes for a ride because another hippie picked me up. And there was a real sense of brotherhood, and I felt a lot of peace in that. Uh, and so that was me being able to belong. Uh, to something, to not be an outsider, to not be completely isolated. Uh, but it didn't satisfy. And and I remember, uh, you know, John hearing a John Lennon song in a bar one night, and I thought, well, that's our leader. But you know, he had he was he was just a man. He had a lot of problems, a lot of issues. He wasn't God. And even though I, I you know, I was part of this brethren of hippies, uh, I, I was still isolated because I still was carrying the shame of what I did in secret. 
Uh, and then I, I, I carried that into, you know, the, the, the marriages I had. Yeah, I wanted to be married. I wanted to love someone. I wanted to be loved back. But when you don't feel good about yourself, that's a difficult proposition. Oh, it's yeah. just not that easy. Uh, you are within yourself. You can't really expose yourself to another person because uh, if, they, if, if you do, then they're going to reject you because you, you already, I grew up already rejected by my dad. So everybody else is going to reject me too. I have a, have a great Sunday school teacher who talks about the snapshot, and it is mm-hmm. that moment in time where you are abused. And what happens is you, you, you repeat that and you actually will, you know, uh, you sort of self prophesy to yourself. You'll expect rejection and abandonment and you'll get it because you'll orchestrate it subconsciously. So, uh, marriage was, you know, it was a disaster. I heard a very good girl, uh, when I first got married and, and I, you know, I was, uh, thank God I was able to make amends to her and it, it, she was married and I was married and it was an appropriate thing to do. And there was no, you know, communication required after that. But, you know, you're just not, you just don't feel good about yourself. And, you know, I'm jumping ahead here a lot, but uh, everything, you know, a lot of people might think that recovery is, wow, you're, you know, pie in the sky. And, yes, I do, you know, I say this probably every day that my cup runs over because of helping others and seeing what God has done in my life. But my second wife left me uh, about five years ago. And it came out of the blue. It wasn't for, for a very good reason. It had nothing to do with my addiction. I was in recovery at the time. And uh, it, it was, you know, it was a cataclysmic event in my life. But here's where, here's where Jesus comes in. And he always does if, if, you, if you abide in it. He began to draw me into his word. And I began a deep, uh, disciplined study of the Gospels. And I'd been a Christian for many years, but I'd never really gotten to know this guy, Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, I began to, to get to know him, to become familiar with him, and as I did, I began to find out who I was in Christ. Well, that was preparation for my wife leaving me, mm-hmm. and uh, because when I when you don't have anything, if you have Jesus, you have all you need. And I know that sounds preaching like a platitude, but I found out it is the truth. And uh, you know, knowing who I am in Him, I am His child. Yes, I've done some bad things in the past. I'm going to do, I'll sin every day in my life, hopefully not a sexual sin, but I will sin every day in my life. You know, I'm going to walk through this life an imperfect man, but he loves me. He deeply, deeply loves me, and I know that. Mm-hmm. I, I'll never forget Jonathan answering a question in the workbook we used, and I answered it without a thought, without a blink of an eye. The question was, when you see God's face, is he frowning or smiling? And I instantly wrote down, he's too far away for me to tell. Mm. And that's where I was. That's where I was. I was saved. I was going to go to heaven. But I, he was just too far from me. I was too isolated from him, too removed from him. But God called me into his word and into a study of Jesus. And I'd had moments where I read, uh, and I, here I get emotional again, first time I read John 4 and saw that uh, Jesus first revealed himself as the Messiah to a sex addict, the woman at the well, I just sobbed like a baby. I just, I, you know, couldn't contain the tears. Other instances, he, he broke all the rules when he touched a leper. He didn't even say a word to the leper. He touched him. And I don't know, Jonathan, if you re- if this resonates with you or not, but it resonates with me that sex addicts in our culture today and in the body of Christ, I, re- I think we're lepers. We're modern day lepers. Mm-hmm. We are the untouchables. Uh, we all grade sin as part of our human nature because we all need to feel good about ourselves. 
But a sex addict makes everybody uncomfortable. And you can be saved. You can be you can you can be a great human being and a great citizen. But if people know you have that in your background, they're going to be on their guard. And that's very unfortunate, but it is a reality. And that's why sex addicts so much, so very much need each other in relationships. Well, and the irony of that idea of uh, the modern-day leper, the irony of that information coming out and then people being repulsed by that, the irony to me is that we have set up everything in our culture— to lead people to sexual addiction. Mm-hmm. So the the irony is, you know, oh my goodness, leper, leper, but hey, we're we're making sure that every every media outlet, every single advertisement, sure. every single thing that's going on in our culture is pointing people towards a sexual addiction. It, um, it is. It is. Now we we have to t- you know, I will say that we have to take responsibility. Oh, absolutely. Uh, for for keeping our finger on a remote control for not watching R-rated movies for all of those things. But you're right. You're right. We're in a sex-saturated society, and yet, you know, what? What you have a problem with sex? That you're you're terrible. Well, it's, it's understandable. Mm-hmm. So uh, you mentioned that. So you've had these family dynamics from your history. Uh, you said you've you've got uh, children. Um, these marriages. So so help help us understand the listener from a kind of a relational standpoint. What has the journey been like for you in that regard, in terms of learning how to how to relate well, how to work through relational difficulties, um, and and kind of what that is like for a person in the recovery process, realizing that not every single relationship works out the way you want it to, but there's obviously right. a relate. The underpinnings typically of a sexual addiction have a lot of relational components to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, this sounds this would sound strange to anyone who's not in sex sex addiction recovery in a faith based setting, but the opportunity to sit down in front of a perfect stranger or three or a whole room full and confess your your filth, what you did, that took that is actually a first step towards true intimacy. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's so strange and odd that you do it first with a whole bunch of men. Well, what happens in that dynamic is. Nobody runs away screaming, oh, my God, they're, they're mon- he's a monster or whatever. They just, you know, okay, yeah, you're just like me and whatever, and, and there's, that, there's no judgment that I mentioned. But that is really the, fir- the beginnings of intimacy. And I've always said, you know, once you begin recovery, when you begin to, to be in fellowship with other addicts, I think, you know, for an hour and 15 minutes, I went how long our meetings last, sometimes longer, uh, that's, that's a window where there's no shame. And you will begin to carry that out once you leave the room, once you once you leave the fellowship. And you're getting affirmation from someone. You're getting the love of God, no judgment. You're okay. We all struggle. We all fall short. We're all sinners. Okay, yours is a particular, in the eyes of society, is a really heinous kind of a sin. But nevertheless, you still cannot help but feel better about yourself. So, so you carry that over into the world. And I'll never forget this. When I first got started in recovery, I went to my sponsor and I said, you know, I realize something. I don't really like non-addicts. And he said something that sounds callous, but it's kind of true. He said, use them as a lab. And I had to, I had to laugh thinking back at it because really recovery is, it equips you to go out into the world and to be who you really are to people. Uh, you know, I, I, I got married about a year and a half ago to a New Orleans girl 
who is absolutely the most fantastic, wonderful woman. Uh, we have our we have our share of things we have to work through, but it is a great relationship. I wouldn't have that if I felt badly about myself, if I was still in, in shame. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a recovering sex addict, but I'm a child of God first and foremost, and that has made me into a, a better than average husband, uh, a better than average father. Uh, you know, a man who is who's kind of proud of himself. I, I kind of have to laugh because I'll run into the uh, into the into the leper label sometimes, and I'll actually laugh because I'm so comfortable and free. I, I, that's the greatest word I can use to describe it. I am free. Uh, I'm not a slave to to sex anymore. Uh, do I struggle? Do I have to have to watch things? Yeah, I I, I really guard myself and, and I do a lot of things to guard myself, but I am free, and so. You know, for somebody to perceive me or be a little, little bit uh, hesitant about me or apprehensive, I, I find myself laughing a lot of times. Sometimes it hurts a little bit, uh, if 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 that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Well, Ken, we are about out of time here, so we're going to do another. Uh, we're going to do another episode. We're going to bring you back for another, uh, another podcast. Uh, but real quickly, if you can share where people can get your book, and then um, and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, my book is available on Amazon. Uh, all you would need to do would be to type in my name, Ken Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, and up will pop uh, the title of my book, Crossroad, A Journey from Sex to Sanity. And it's available on Amazon. It's also available from my publisher, Crosslink, one word, uh, publishers. Uh, they, they're also online. Uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, usual websites is, is where my book is available. Also through uh, your ministry. It is a resource mm-hmm. on your website, so it's available there also. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ken, for sharing your story, and we're looking forward to having you back next time. Thank you very much, Jonathan. God bless you. And listeners, we're looking forward to having you back next time as well on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.